you believe God is able, just, just put it right there in the chat. Say, he is able. Hallelujah. And if you don't mind, we just appreciate our praise team tonight. If you don't mind, just give them a virtual amen in the chat in appreciation of these young people who lend their gifts in service to the Lord. And also, if you don't mind, I just ask if you just give our media team a virtual amen. We are grateful for their labors and their efforts and allowing us to be able to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ right there to your living room. Friends of mine, I'm excited to be here once again tonight. I'm just in this space where I believe if ever we needed the Lord before, I believe we certainly do need him now. And I'm excited to be able to share with you tonight's installment from our series entitled Signs. And we've been talking about how to discern God's will for your life. So we began a couple weeks back talking about the importance of being able to know how to merge. That was last week. And we talked about the importance of biblical partnership. And then a couple of weeks ago, we, can, we began the series. And so tonight, we want to get into something very, very critical for your consideration this evening. So we want to begin tonight in Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 12. We invite you to turn there in your Bibles right there in your home. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 12. And while you're turning, um, do me a favor, be an electronic evangelist, an Apple apostle. Uh, if you're on Facebook, just share the message. Hit the share button five times so that this message spreads far and wide and as many people as possible can receive the message on tonight. And if you're on YouTube, just copy the link, text it to somebody that just needs to hear a word from the Lord and be encouraged in the spirit tonight. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 12. The wise man simply says this that there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Tonight, I want to talk to you about a very critical sign. I want to talk to you specifically this evening about how to recognize when life is leading you to a dead end. Talk about when to know when life is leading you to a dead end. Let's pray together tonight. Father, I pray that in this little while that you would say much. Father, I'm praying that you would speak to us with clarity in a very direct way. And Lord, I'm praying that this would be a life-saving message, a life-altering message, a life-amending message. May somebody on the wrong road detour tonight we pray this in the blessed name of Jesus. Let those that believe together say with me, amen and amen. So again, as we talk tonight about understanding a dead end, I want to begin by defining what a dead end sign represents. You see, a dead end sign was a sign that was designated to warn the traveler that the road they are on will soon come to an end and the ability for forward progress is going to cease. So again, I want to say this again. The purpose of a dead end sign is to warn the traveler that, you're all, the traveler that the road they're on is going to come to an end. And the ability for forward progress is going to cease. In other words, I think you've been traveling down the road where you've seen a dead end sign. And the dead end sign was to let you know that this road is not going any further that you've come to an end, that progress or forward motion 
is going to come to a halt. And what I believe, friends of mine, is that what's true on the highways and the roadways is also true in Christian experience. Because there are going to be times where the Holy Spirit is going to use people, he's going to use circumstances, he's going to intervene in your life to let you know that you're heading down a path that has no future. He's trying to let somebody to know that there is no progress on the road that you're on, that this road has taken you as far as it's able to go. And one of the things you'll notice about dead-end signs on the highway is that they're usually placed right before an exit or a turn because they want to position you to be able to turn around before you go too far down a road that has no future. And I believe, friends of mine, that there is somebody tonight that is on a dead-end road and God has providentially ordained this message to be heard tonight because there is an exit nearby. God has placed a turn in your path so that there is an opportunity for you to reverse course and not spend too much time on a road that has no future in it. And so I want to talk really quickly about two marks of a Christian life. As we talk about this road, being on a dead-end road, there are two marks I want you to be aware of. Number one, I want you to know one of the marks of a Christian life is progress. Somebody in the chat put progress. The word says in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 15, it says, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress, the Bible says, may be evident to all. So when you read 1 Timothy chapter 4, what you see is the Apostle Paul giving young Timothy much spiritual instruction. He talks to him about principles of godliness. He tells him, let no person despise your youth. And he gives these instructions and he gives a reason for it. He says that your progress may be evident to all. And this is the word I want somebody to get tonight, is that when Jesus is operating in your life, there ought to be a progress that is obvious to everybody that sees your life. In other words, saints, I need you to get that if you are abiding in Christ and Christ is abiding in you, I need you to know the result is there ought to be some progress in your experience. Do I have a witness tonight that there ought to be progress academically? You ought to have a progress spiritually, that there ought to be progress socially, that you ought to be progressing financially. I need you to understand that a believer's life ought not be stagnant. It ought not be herky-jerky. It ought not be up today and down tomorrow. There ought to be progress in the believer's life. In fact, one of the things that becomes clear when you read the word of God is that progress itself becomes a witness. In other words, when you look at the story of Joseph and Potiphar, that Potiphar who is an unbelieving Egyptian, the way that he is able to recognize the presence of God is that everything that Joseph touched had progress to it. In other words, it was the fruitfulness of his life that bore witness that he had an unseen hand of God that was adding favor to whatever he did. 
And I need you to understand, beloved, that being, if progress creates a witness, then stagnancy destroys your witness. In other words, if fruitfulness is what gives my unbelieving company an audience with God, then a lack of progressiveness actually hinders my walk with God. And one of the things I want to say, friends of mine, is that it's okay to be stuck occasionally. But the problem with some of us is we are stuck habitually. In other words, like we we are always starting over. We're always having to hit the reset button. We're always in a place where we're just not moving in the direction that God has ordained or purposed for our lives. And I'm calling the body of Christ tonight to a lifestyle of progress. In other words, let me say it this way, that progressive can be your insurance, shouldn't shouldn't just be your insurance company. Let me say it again. That progressive shouldn't just be your insurance company, but progressive ought to be your assurance. Let me say it again. That, that progression is not just insurance. Progression is actually assurance because progressive insurance can only cover damage after it's been done. But when you've got progressive assurance, it keeps the damage from coming into your life in the first place. And I believe, friends of mine, that when we start walking in divine assurance that God will allow us to have a progress that enlarges our witness and keeps us off dead in streets. The second mark of a Christian life is this. A Christian life ought to have clarity. Somebody say clarity. Clarity. The word says in Proverbs 4 and 18, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining ever brighter to the full light of day. In other words, friends of mine, when you're abiding in Christ, One of the things that happens is that Jesus illuminates your path. In other words, like, listen, when you are being filled with the Spirit and the hand of God is guiding your life, guess what? It removes the guesswork out of life. In other words, a Christian should not always be learning through trial and error. In other words, I need you to get that when you are abiding in Christ, Christ begins to illuminate your path in a progressive way so that your steps can become more confident and you can move with greater conviction. Now, remember in ancient times that there were no street lights when you traveled at night. There was no street lights to illuminate the path. So if you were traveling during the evening watches or the dark night and you were walking down an unfamiliar path, what would happen is you would walk with caution. You would, you would be tiptoeing because you didn't really know or you couldn't tell where your next foot was going to land. But what happens for the path of the righteous, it's not like walking through dark terrain where I'm not really sure if my foot is going to land on good ground. But when I'm walking in the steps that have been ordered by God, my path is illuminated. In other words, I'm not having to guess, but I'm walking with swag. (laughs) I'm moving with a confidence. I'm walking with conviction. I'm not guessing about where I'm going next next week or next month or next year because I am walking in the illuminated path that grows progressively brighter and it gives me clarity. Can I say this tonight, saints, that one of the greatest blessings in your life is clarity. See, in other words, where you don't have to guess, where where you're not flipping coins. Come on and say amen. You just hear the spirit of God leading you and directing you. And the good thing about clarity is that even when you walk in paths where there is opposition 
and you go down a road where there is challenge and you go down a road where there are some hard seasons, guess what? You don't bail out on the road because you have clarity that it is the hand of the Lord that puts you there. If that makes sense to me, you say amen. So one of the things I want to say about a dead road is this, and I want y'all to make sure y'all hear this tonight, that a, a street that is coming to a dead end is still drivable. All right, let, let, me, let me say it again. A dead end road is still a drivable road, meaning when you see a dead end street sign, you don't always see the cliff in view. You don't always see the construction in view. You don't always see that which is going to obstruct your path in view. In other words, it's not until you've driven down the road a long time that you realize that that road was a dead-end street. In other words, like this is what I need somebody to get, is that when you see a dead-end street sign, you've got to trust the sign more than the scenery. See, see what happens is we, we're, we're focused on the scenery so much so that we will ignore the sign that says this road is about to run out. And see, and this is why, beloved, when God puts a sign in your life, you can't focus on the circumstances. In other words, if you're in a dead-end relationship, I need you to know that road is still drivable. It, do, it doesn't mean that your life is falling apart. If you're in a dead-end job, guess what? Your life will still be functional, but there is no future in that particular vocation. Uh, maybe you're on a dead-end financially, like you can still make it from month to month and week to week, but it's critical that you don't just focus on the scenery you got to focus on the sign that God has put in your life. And see, the thing I need somebody to get is that every now and then, God is going to put some people in your life that have been down that street. You see what a dead-end sign means? It means somebody has been down that road before. A dead-end sign means somebody has gone down that path and come to the conclusion that no more progress is available. And one of the things I want to say to those who are young, this is why it is critical that you receive wise counsel along the way. In other words, like wise counsel simply comes from somebody who has been down that road before. They know how it's going to end. There is no more momentum, no matter how hard you push. And they're simply trying to get you to avoid the mistakes they themselves have already made. And see, the thing I want to say to some young person tonight, this is why you need to listen to, to your mom when she's counseling you about men. In other words, she's been down that road before. You realize, sis, that you and your mom are going to be attracted to the same kind of man. Oh, y'all not with me tonight. In other words, because you're attracted to the same kind of man or you and your dad are going to fall for the same type of woman, they, they've been down that road before. And see, the problem is we reject wise counsel and we think, man, they're hating on us. They don't want the best for us. They're trying to deny us when the truth is they've just been down that road before. They, they know how the story is going to end and they're trying to help you avoid some of the pitfalls they've already fallen into. In fact, I heard a great statement just a couple of days ago that says life is too short to learn everything the hard way. And what I'm saying to somebody tonight is that you got to get to a place where all of your mentors are not your age. Can I get a witness tonight? In other words, you need some people with some gray hair. You, you need some wrinkles in your life. You need somebody that has been down that road before that knows how that particular road is going to end. And see, this is the thing I want you to understand about a dead end sign. 
is that the purpose of this sign, its primary purpose is to keep you from wasting time. In other words, I need you to get this, that a dead-end street sign, it's not a critical sign, like a stop sign or a yield sign. Uh, In other words, you probably won't crash if you ignore a dead-end street sign. But what it's going to cost you is something that you never get back, is you're going to go down that road for another 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, only to realize that you've got to turn around, come back the exact way you came, and pass by the sign that told you you couldn't go no further in the first place. In other words, I need us to understand that traveling down a dead road, dead end road, I need you to know it doesn't mean that you're going to go to hell. It doesn't mean that your life is going to fall apart. It doesn't mean that you won't make anything out of your life. But dead end street signs means that you are wasting time along the way. Now, I need you to understand because there's somebody that's saying, well, pastor, I'm not sinning. I'm not doing anything wrong. But I need you to understand here what the word teaches in 1 Corinthians 10, 23. It says, all things are lawful for me. So in other words, going down a dead end street sign, that's not a breaking of the law. In other words, you're not going to get a ticket for traveling down that road. In other words, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. In other words, see, too often we put everything in the context of, is this going to cause me to be saved or lost? Now, I need you to know that certain things are not a matter of salvation. But I need you to know it may be lawful, but it ain't helpful. It may be lawful, but it's not edifying. It's not adding to your life. It's subtracting from your life, and it's causing you to waste some time. And the reason I'm talking about time tonight is I need somebody to get this, that time is the only earthly asset that cannot be reproduced. In other words, you can always get more money. You can always get a new car. You can always find more friends. You can always find another boo. You can always get new clothes. But the one thing that you will never be able to get back is this day. I need you to know that once this day comes to a close, you'll never be able to revisit it. You'll never be able to amend it. You'll never be able to adjust it. Listen, out of all the miracles you've seen in Scripture, and we have seen God challenge the impossible in every way, shape, and form. We have seen God literally make the sick whole. We have seen Jesus make the sun stand still. Like we've seen Jesus like raise people from the dead. But the one miracle Jesus has never done is let somebody go back in time and get a do-over for something that has already been done in the past. Are y'all hearing me tonight, saints? In other words, this is why I want us to get to a place where we're valuing time in a much more sacred way. Psalm 90 and verse 12. The psalmist says this, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Are y'all catching that tonight, church? In other words, the, the word of God is teaching us that you got to get to a place where, where not necessarily that you create a countdown, but that you understand fundamentally that your days are numbered. Like how many of us understand that we are finite, that we, we, we do not have all the time in the world? And so one of the things that we have to do is operate with, with this clarity that I have a specific time and a specific season in which to get certain things done because there is a clock on my life. Do you realize that the whole idea of tomorrow, that tomorrow is just a concept. Tomorrow is not a reality until you wake up the next day. Like the book of James literally says that our lives 
are like a mist. It is like a vapor. It is why he says that you ought to even be careful about saying, I'm going to do this next year. I'm going to travel here or complete this business. He says, unless the Lord wills, then then those things are, are no certainty. I need you to realize that the only breath that's guaranteed is the one you just exhaled. I need you to realize that that waking up tomorrow is simply a result of brand new, unsealed, never before seen mercies that God has dispatched that very day. And that's why there is an emphasis on today in the scripture. And see, the word says we've got a number of that. Listen, listen, saints, I, you know, this year I'll turn 45 years old and, and it's crazy because like based on the averages of life, I never saw this day coming, but I'm at a place where I probably have about as much time behind me as I have in front of me. And I know in a way that may seem dark and, 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 and you know, kind of a downer, but no, what it's doing is it creates a sense of urgency. In other words, like, man, you see, young people, you have all your life in front of you until you don't no more. Like one day you're going to wake up like me. I'm I'm telling you, like, I mean, hair is going to be gone. You're going to be able to tell the weather by how your knees feel when you wake up that morning. Like it's going to, mortality touches everybody. Wait for it. It'll get you soon. But I need you to understand that what it's teaching us, friends of mine, is that whatever we're going to do, we got to do it today. Is there anybody that's like me that you've just made it up in your mind that I ain't got no more time to waste? I, I can't put nothing off to tomorrow. I can't procrastinate anymore. Do I have anybody out there in the chat that's just made it up in your mind tonight that I'm not wasting any more days? I'm not going to regret any more days. I'm not going to assume any more days. And whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to do it right now. Can I just say to somebody online, if you're going to write the book, write it now. If you're going to write the CD, go ahead and publish it now. If you're going to go ahead and start the ministry, start it now. I need you to know that tomorrow is just a concept. It is not promised. You've only got the breath that you're exhaling now. So whatever you're going to do, go ahead and do it right now. Can the church say amen? So as we move through this, I want to talk real quick about five dead-end roads that we need to get off of. Five dead-end roads that we need to get off of tonight. One of the things I want to encourage us to do is we got to make it a point to get out of, hear me, any unmarried amongst us, that you got to get out of any dead-end relationships. And I want to talk about how to know if you're in a dead-end relationship. Number one, one of the ways you know you're in a dead-end relationship, if you feel like you've settled. (laughs) In other words, listen, I need you to know that this is the Spirit of God that is literally disrupting your peace and creating a nauseating sensation about who you're with so that you don't allow yourself to settle there permanently. In fact, let me just say to some young people tonight, you ought to treat certain relationships like plastic forks and spoons. Uh, You ought to treat them like paper plates. In other words, you don't wash them and try to keep them. After you're done using them, you go ahead and, oh, y'all not with me tonight. You just get rid of that. In other words, when you feel like you just settled for less than God's plan, that's, not, oh, that's a dead-end relationship. It's a dead-end relationship if you stay in it simply because you feel like you can't do any better. In other words, there are some of us that have believed the devil's lie that says, I don't deserve better. I deserve this. And, and, and you have allowed yourself to stay in it because you believe somebody else's appraisal of you. 
In other words, somebody else told you you can't do any better, that you ought to just be glad to be with them. But how many of us know that, that, that you can do bad all by yourself? You ain't got to be in a relationship to be unhappy. And you don't have to stay there just because you don't feel like you can do any better. How many of us know that the word says that if you delight yourself in the Lord, that God will grant you the desires of your heart? So you don't have to feel like you've settled. You don't have to feel like, man, this is the best I can do. Because Jesus says in John 10, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And what I'm saying is if the relationship looks like ordinary life, then that's short of God's abundant life that he has planned for those who love him. Can the church say amen? Third reason you know it's a dead-end relationship is if the relationship lowers you spiritually. In other words, if the, if the relationship keeps you in a posture of repenting, if the relationship draws you away from church and spiritual meetings, if the relationship, watch this, takes the place of God or, or it literally consumes all your devotional life and, and it literally becomes an idol, I need you to be clear that whenever a relationship takes God's place, God is going to make war on that relationship. And see, one of the things I've learned about God is the song says, he's never lost a battle. It is a war you cannot win. In other words, a spiritual, healthy relationship, it pushes you closer to God, not further away. Fourth thing that lets you know it's a dead end is if you're trying to love enough for two people. How many of us realize that in relationships, there's got to be reciprocity? No matter how much you love him, no matter how much you love her, there is no individual that's got enough love for two people. Listen, let me say it this way. I, I remember one time uh, I took my kids to the, to the playground, and, and my daughter was, was on the playground with, with some other kids, and they were on the little toy, the, the seesaw. Y'all remember the little seesaw where you kind of mash down and raise up your neighbor, and, and they mash down and raise you up? And so what would happen is the little boy on the other side, she would kind of get down on her side and raise him up. But whenever it came down to him to push her up, he would run and go play somewhere else. Then he would come back again, and then she would raise him up. Then when he got down, he would run and play somewhere else. And it's so funny because this dad, I'm over here all in my feelings. I'm like, girl, come, come off that seesaw. Stop playing with that dude. Because I wanted her to understand from the earliest age, I never want you in a situation where you're lifting somebody else up, but they don't never lift you up. And what I'm saying to somebody tonight is that if you're only doing the lifting, then guess what? It's a dead-end relationship because guess what? Not only are you to lift them, they ought to lift you. There ought to be some reciprocity. Are y'all hearing me tonight? You know it's a dead-end relationship. Come on, church. If they marry. Now, now I, have, I have to say this. I have to say this because it has just become too commonplace for us to engage with people who are married, um, separated, or commit it to somebody else. And what I'm saying to us tonight, friends of mine, is that love is stingy. Desperation will share. See, in other words, you, you think, man, you know, I'm, I'm willing to share them because I love them so much. No, that's not a sign of love. It's a sign of desperation. How many of us know that there are just certain things in life you can't share? <laughs> I can't get no help out of that. 
And I remember here as, as a student in Oakwood, like me and my roommates, I mean, we would share certain things. Like, you know, we would share coats. Uh, or if I had some shoes, he liked that. Y'all let him borrow my shoe. But there were just certain things we could not share. We could not share toothbrushes. Do I have a witness? You could not share undergarments. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? There are just certain things that cannot be shared. And what I'm saying is if you can't share your toothbrush, I mean, if you can't, come on, then you can't share your woman. You can't share your man. Um, there are just certain things that love will not allow you to be shared. Um, if it draws out the worst in your character. In other words, good relationships ought to draw out your most endearing character, characteristics, not your worst ones. All right? Um, number seven, you stay in the relationship only because of the length of your investment. In other words, there are certain people that will stay in dead-end relationships simply because they have the fear of starting over. And one of the things I need somebody to hear me on tonight is never be afraid to start over. Never feel like, man, I've given so much to it that I've just got to stay in it and be committed to it because of the investment. I need you to know that you serve the God, even if you've given a year to it or two years or five years, it's better to start over with Christ than to continue down a dead-end road without him. And we serve the God that can restore the years that the locusts have taken away. And I believe that if you have the courage to start over in Christ, that your latter day will be greater than your former day, but you've got to be willing to trust him every step of the way. In fact, see, sometimes dead-end relationships are like snow cones. You guys remember the snow cones you would get from the state fair where, where you would suck on it, and what would happen is if you were not careful, you would suck all of the syrup or sweetness out of it. But then after a while, you would begin sucking on the ice trying to get the sweetness, but all the sweetness is gone. But because you're still trying to draw from it, all it does is give you a brain freeze or a headache. And see, there are some of us that are still trying to get sweetness out of something when all the sweetness is gone and all it does is cause pain and heartache along the way. And so I want to encourage us to get out of dead-end relationships. Number two, this is critical Make sure that you jump out of dead-end jobs. Now, I want to say something real quick because I don't believe that there is any particular profession that is a dead-end profession. So that if it is your calling and God has anointed you to do it and you're willing to work at it, you can do anything with excellence and it be profitable to you. But what I mean when I say this, you know it's a dead-end job if the job in no way feeds into your calling. Now, when we hear the word calling, too often we automatically think preacher or pastor. But how many of us listening understand that all of us have a calling over our lives? That I need you to realize that you are born with design purpose. I want somebody to understand that your life is not just the result of biological process, but your life is the result of an idea that was conceived in the mind of God before eternity began. So I need you to know that every, there are things about you that point you to your purpose. So your gifts, they're not random. They point you to your purpose. Your passions are not random. They point you to your purpose. Your observations, the things that you notice that nobody else notices, the things that everybody else walks by, but you stop and it got, captures your attention. It points you to your purpose. Even the things that frustrate you, 
that don't cause frustration for anybody else. Those things point you to your calling or your purpose. And so I need you to understand, friends of mine, that many times your calling, your purpose is going to be found at the intersection of your gifts, your passions, your, your, your observations, and your frustrations. Those things create the formula to help you know what it was, is, that God has called you to do. The second thing that lets you know that the job may be a dead-end job is if you are consistently undervalued and underutilized. Let me just say this, because I believe a lot of times this is God at work in a job where you're undervalued and underutilized. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because God will allow you to be underappreciated, undervalued, so that vocationally you function like a nomad and not a resident. It is his way of keeping you from settling there. It is his way of creating just enough discomfort to where you're willing to operate in faith and not familiarity. Third thing is if your job causes your gifts and your intellect to rot. In other words, like it doesn't challenge you. It's not pushing you. It is not a space that is forcing creativity or maturity, or growth, you literally get worse by going there each and every day. There's a dead end there. Number four, the only thing that's keeping you there is a paycheck. Now, there are going to be times where you're in school, or you're getting your trade, or you're working on your business plan, and you got to do something to pay the bills. Come on and say amen. I don't want you to hear this and go quit your job uh, tonight. Don't, sit, don't send in a letter uh, your two weeks tonight. But there are times where you got to do what you got to do until, until you get where you need to get. But I need you to know that I want you to stay in a nomad mentality. I want you to function as a pilgrim. Just don't settle there. And then this is very critical. You hate everyone you work with and for and everybody you serve. If on your job, you hate everybody you work with, everybody you work for, and everybody you serve, it's time for you to get off that job. Because, see, one of the things about your calling in your job is that there ought to be love there. And what I mean when I say that, especially with certain professions, if you can't do it with love, you need to get out of it. And what I mean when I say that, think about it. Like if you're in the food service industry, like good food is cooked with love. And if you can't do it with love, you got to get out of it. Like if you're going to be a nurse in my hospital room, you got to be there because you love people. In other words, you can't be there with an attitude and you mad and you, and you mad because I'm in the hospital. No, you got to step in with love. Like even as a pastor, I got to do this with love. And if I can't do it with love, I need to find something else to do. And there are just certain things that you cannot prosper in if you're doing it just for financial remuneration. But there is no love or sense of calling that drives you there. The, the next thing you need, the next dead end road you need to get off of is dead end health practices. In other words, saints, I, I look at this, this text here in Proverbs. The Bible says, when you sit down to dine with the ruler, it says, note well what is before you. First thing he's saying, you need to know what you're putting in your body. Then he says, and put a knife to your throat if you are given to gluttony. Listen, the word of God literally says that certain practices are suicidal in nature. And there are times, friends of mine, and this is the thing about the body is that the body actually is filled with grace. I mean, it will forgive you a great deal for certain abuses, but I need you to understand that at a certain point, the, those, that road you're on is going to lead to a short-circuiting of your purpose and your divine design. Are y'all hearing the word tonight, saints? 
In other words, like, and see, let me just say this because there are some of us that we just don't like doctors. You won't say it, but you just don't like doctors. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to spiritualize and just try to work our way around doing whatever it is God has told us to do. So if we don't want to eat healthy, what we'll say is, well, you know, pastor, I just pray over my food. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to ask God to bless it. But there's just certain things you can't ask God to bless. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying tonight, church? In other words, you don't, you don't put water in your gas tank and just say, Lord, bless the car and keep it driving anyway. All right, you, you, I mean, you never just, you, you know what I mean? You never put, you know, uh, milk on your computer and then just say, Lord, bless it and make it keep working. And what I'm saying is, if you don't treat your computer that way, if you don't treat your gas tank that way, why would you treat the most important asset you have, which is your body, that particular way? So, so that if the doctor says you got to get active, guess what? We got to get up early in the morning while it's still cold outside, and we've got to start moving and being more active. If the doctor tells us that we've got to lay aside the cigarettes and the alcohol, you can try to spiritualize it and say, Jesus, turn water into wine all you want to. But at the end of the day, your kidneys are going to suffer and your lungs are going to suffer. There is a dead end. Pay attention to the sign, not the scenery. There's going to be a time where maybe the doctor says you got to lower your sweet intake or, or maybe you need to lose a little weight. In other words, like, you know, the medicine, the drugs, all they're going to do is manage the symptoms. But until you change your diet, there'll be no actual here. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying tonight? In other words, your doctor may say you need to start drinking a little bit more water or your kidneys are going to suffer. And the thing I want to say is sometimes our habits reflect how we feel, not what we know. And at some point, you got to function according to what we know, not how we feel. Or what will happen is as soon as you start feeling good, you'll go back to certain things. Listen, I'm a witness. I've done this. I am speaking from personal experience tonight. And what I'm saying is I'm trying to make this, 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 this wide turn into functioning according to knowledge, not how I feel, where I develop some habits and I move down a certain path. Like even as I'm dealing with these challenges, what it has done is start making me pay attention to every part of my health experience. And it's amazing how sometimes we won't respond to nothing but a crisis. But every now and then, God will send a sign. Can I get a witness tonight? He'll send a sign that says, listen, you need to pay attention to some things. You need to turn around. That's a dead-end street that you're on, if that makes sense. Let me hear you say amen. Number four is we need to get rid of some dead-end thinking. There's some dead-end thinking. So there are times where, where there's some axioms. There's some thoughts that we're holding on to that, that simply is just dead-end thinking. So that there are times where we literally say, well, you know, Pastor, I, I just got to do what I got to do. And in other words, I'm going to do something that I know isn't good for me. I know it's not helpful. I know it doesn't edify, but it's going to solve my immediate problem. And whenever somebody's saying, Pastor, I got to do what I got to do, what I know is they're willing to sacrifice the future for the present. And see, you got to stop creating a narrative that says, I have no other choice but to do X, Y, and Z. No, you always have a choice. But guess what? It may be a harder choice. The road may be a longer road. It may be an uphill journey. But I would rather preserve the future at the expense of immediate comfort as opposed to choosing immediate comfort at the expense of the future. If that makes sense, I'm here to say amen. Second thing I want to encourage you to do is that there are times where there's some of us, it's dead in thinking, well, you make it up in your mind and say, well, I got to wait on them to apologize before I can have closure. 
Like how many of us know that man, you will be waiting until Jesus comes for certain people to acknowledge the wrong that they have done to you? Like I need you to get, as I said, my first Sabbath, if they can move on without you, that means that you can move on without them. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And the thing I want somebody to get is emotionally, I don't want you to stay in park when your offenders are in drive. In other words, they are going on with their life. They ain't even thinking about you. And I need you to know that you don't need their consent or participation to forgive. You don't need their consent or participation to move forward in your life. I need somebody to stop remembering the former things. Don't consider the things of old. God says, behold, I'm going to do a new thing for you, and you don't need them to come around for you to have closure. You just got to abide in faith with Jesus Christ. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying tonight? There's some of us, man, I need you to know it's dead in thinking for you to sit around and wait on your spouse to change. No, like, listen, if you want to be delivered tonight, just accept them for who they are. At the end of the day, like, you know, like people change. Listen, you should never expect your spouse to change quicker than you do. In other words, look at how long it's taken you to adjust certain things. Look at how long it took you to stop leaving the toilet seat up. Look, look at how long it took you to start being more considerate in a certain area. Why, why would you request something more of them? then you've been able to demonstrate in your own life's experience. And what I'm saying to somebody tonight is that you'll find more joy in accepting flaws than you will in waiting for flaws to amend or waiting on them to change. All right? And then lastly, there is dead-end spirituality. And I'm going to talk for just about two or three minutes, and then I'm going to take my seat tonight. Dead-end spirituality. Because, see, there are some of us, and I want to share with you some of the signs of dead-end spirituality. Some of us are at a place where we just have a loss of spiritual appetite. In other words, we don't hunger for the things of God. We have no, we have no, we have no broil in our soul for spiritual things. You get to that place where you treat spiritual things as optional. And then you treat earthly things as essential. So what happens is you find yourself patting yourself on the back simply for saying a quick prayer over your food or just a quick prayer before you get into bed or start the day each day. Or one of the signs of spiritual, um, that a spiritual decline is you begin falling back into old habits. Things that you once had overcome are now beginning to overcome you. Traits that you had left in the past have now emerged in your present and are threatening your future. You reach a place where, where there is just utter prayerlessness in the life. I need us to understand, beloved, that, that Ellen White literally says that prayer is the breath of the soul. And that a life without prayer is the equivalent of spiritual suffocation. And, and listen, when she says prayer is the breath of the soul, that's why the Bible says, that the Apostle Paul says, we ought to pray without ceasing. You know what that means? As, as often as I breathe, that's how often I need to be calling on the name of the Lord. And when we say pray without ceasing, does that mean I'm on my knees, huddled up all the time? No, what it does mean is that there is a constant dialogue between me and Jesus all day long. When you find yourself at that space where you're just going through the motion spiritually, meaning, okay, you have worship, you have prayer, you have devotions, but you ain't making contact. You, you ain't growing. You, you're not spiritually alive. You're just going through the motions. And I do have a belief about this, and I'll talk about it in a whole other lesson. When you find yourself just going through the motions, you may need to change the motions you're going through. But I'll talk about that in another message. 
But then your only spiritually impactful times are at church. And it's a problem because how many of us know that true religion travels? It's not stuck to the location or the time when service comes on your television. So there are three things I want to say for somebody who's in a dead end spiritually. Number one, you need to pray for personal revival. Psalm 80, verse 18 and 19 says, revive us and we will call on your name. In other words, friends of mine, when we think revival, we always think church service. We always think a mass uh, gathering of people. But I need us to understand that the greatest revival, and I believe that there was a portion of COVID that was providential, us to be scattered where we could not gather in corporate settings because God is trying to get us to a place where the moving of the Spirit does not just happen when we gather two or three in his name. But how many of us know that the Spirit ought to move just as powerfully in your living room, in your family altar, as it does in a sanctuary or an auditorium? And when we think revival, it ought not always be corporate. But guess what? God wants to revive your spiritual faculties. God wants to revive your appetite. He wants to revive your prayer life. How many of us know we need to get back to a place where we, we develop an appetite just for the study of Scripture? Where we learn how to open up the Bible and go line upon line and precept upon precept. Where we get back to the old waymarks and practices of committing the Scripture to memory. See, the problem is, like, we've gotten too addicted to milk. And God is saying, it's time for you to graduate to me. So what we'll do is we got devotional books and we got spirit of prophecy and like, it's nothing wrong. But see, we've done, we use all of this stuff as a substitute for the word because we don't want to have to wrestle with it. We don't want to have to deal with the tension of it. And what I'm saying is don't focus or build your life on supplements. Like, like no, you got to get the protein that comes from the word. Like, in other words, why do you need protein pills? Get, get the meat. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Like, we, you know, people getting vitamin C. Like, no, eat the orange. What, what I'm saying is, friends of mine, don't live a life based on supplements. You got to get into the word of the living God. In fact, I challenge somebody tonight, before you get on social media after this message, before you get on the television and watch the game, spend some time in the word. Like, when is the last time you just sat in the word and got lost in the word? Where, where you didn't have a timer with the word where you just went until your eyes burned or you prayed until your knees hurt. Like, we just got to learn how to get lost in his presence again. But it's crazy. Like, we don't have no timer when we're watching the show. We ain't got no timer when we're watching the game. We ain't got no timer when we're watching Real Housewives of Atlanta. But with spiritual things, it's got to start at a certain time and end at a certain time. And if church goes too long, I can't be bothered with it. It's because our appetites are flawed. And God is saying we got to get a revival, not just of a church service or a large gathering. There's got to be a revival personally in the life. God says, restore us, Lord Almighty, and make your face to shine upon us that we may be saved. Number two, and I want to encourage you this, seek the Lord without any division in your heart. Seek God without any division in your heart. Jeremiah 29 and 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Are y'all catching this tonight, church? God is saying, you won't seek me if you're seeking me in a partial way. If you're speaking me in a sporadic way. He says, you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. How many of us know the reason spiritual things have never taken root is because we try to compartmentalize spirituality. 
we have our spiritual life, but then I have my social life, and I have my financial life, and I have my, you know, my personal life. But how many of us know that spiritual life has to bleed over into every part of it? It's got to inform every segment in every sector of your life. You cannot keep God in a box. God has to spill over. And God is saying, listen, man, he's, he's saying, I won't, I won't be confined to one space. Until you let me bleed over into every portion of your life, you're not going to really know me like you desire to know me. He says, you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. At some point, please hear me tonight. You've got to go all the way in with God or you've got to walk away. You've got to go all the way in with God or get off the shore. Like real quick, li- li- listen, I remember when the first time I went over to preach over on the, on the island of Bermuda. I remember I had been there preaching all week long. And because I was just focusing on assignment, we didn't do any sightseeing. We didn't do any time at the beach. But I remember our flight was leaving out that Sunday around 4.30, but we didn't want to be the people that went all the way to Bermuda and didn't get to go to the beach. So we go over to the Bermuda. I mean, we go over to the beach like 11.30 in the morning. It's kind of an overcast day, probably about 67 degrees. And guess what? The water is kind of cold. But we didn't want to be the people that go to Bermuda and don't go to the beach. And so we get there, and, and I'm seeing folk, man, that are going in and out of the water. So I'm like, you know, I'm telling my wife, Gianna, we got this. And so I go, and I, and I put my foot in the edge of the water, and it's freezing cold. And, and it's cold, and it's uncomfortable, but, and I want to get out, and I want to go home. But then I'd be that guy that goes to Bermuda and doesn't go to the beach. And I just refuse to be that guy. And so I need you to know, I do something that is as stupid as the day is long. So I get there, and, and I'm trying to kind of gradually get into the water. So what I do is I get the little water, and this is very effeminate. Like, forgive me for this. Like, I'm taking the little water, and I'm dipping it on my shoulder. And, and I'm putting it on the other side. And I'm trying to splash it on a little bit at a time. And it's crazy because the more I put it on me, the colder it gets, and the less likely I am to proceed. And what happens is I'm seeing little kids come in and out, and they don't try to get in gradually. They just run toward the beach with all of the strength they can find, and they just cannonball themselves into the water. And one of the things that becomes clear is that I never do certain things gradually. There are certain things that I had to simply immerse myself into. I couldn't do it a little bit at a time. I had to go all the way in. I had to go all the way in. Last thing tonight, I want to encourage us to just learn how to trust God in all things. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. You see, friends of mine, I want to just encourage us to know tonight that God wants us to function in an active and living relationship with him. God doesn't want you to remain stuck. He doesn't want you to remain going up and down. God wants you to have progress in your spiritual path. God wants you to have clarity on your spiritual journey. But the word for somebody sitting at home tonight is what we read in the book of Jeremiah, where God says, you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And see, there's somebody tonight that is wondering why religion has never taken root. You're wondering why you've tried spiritual things, but it just never lasts. It never sticks. 
And, and see, there's sometimes even where we use the wrong language in the church, where we say, well, the preacher will stand down and say, why don't you give the Lord a try? No, you don't give the Lord a try like it's an experiment. You've got to commit to God. You've got to enter into a covenant with him. Because, see, it's, when you say give him a try, it means, okay, if it's going well, I stick with it. But then if it ever gets hard, I abandon and walk away. But what I'm calling you tonight to, friends, is a commitment with God to get out of dead-end spirituality where you're here today and gone tomorrow. God is trying to bring you out of an, a, a, a loss of appetite for spiritual things. He wants to revive your prayerfulness. He wants to revive your appetite for the Word of God. He wants you to get to a place spiritually where spiritual things are deemed as essential and not optional. And there is somebody watching this tonight who has been at a dead end in life. You're wondering why I keep coming to a dead end in relationships and dead end in my work and dead end in my friendships and dead end in my thinking. It's all an outgrowth of dead end spirituality. Because see, when you get in covenant with God and God begins to bleed over into every area of your life and you let him out of the box and you let Jesus take the wheel in your relationships. And you let Jesus drive the bus in your vocations. And you allow the word of God to dictate your thinking. I need you to know that those dead-end roads will become the path that God will ordain for you. It's a straight and narrow road. But the great thing about that straight and narrow road, even though it's lonely, it's not as many people there. The thing about the great and narrow road, the straight and narrow road is that it's not a dead end. It's taking you somewhere. The Bible says that that straight and narrow road, it leadeth unto eternal life. And there is somebody tonight that has been functioning in temporary life. Like you've not been numbering your days. You've been just living for this life. And God is trying to get you off of that road because you realize this life has a dead end to it. It's going to come to a screeching halt. You just don't have a date for it. And God is wanting you to get on that straight and narrow road that leadeth unto life. And there's somebody at home Right there in the privacy of your home, God has providentially ordained you to hear this word tonight so that you can get on that road that leadeth unto life. And if you're in the Huntsville area, maybe you're not, but you need to make it up in your mind to say, I need to get on the road that leadeth unto life. I want to encourage you to connect with us. Or where it says connect or ways to connect. And maybe you want to signify that decision by saying, I want to be baptized for the remission of my sins. Maybe you want to signify that decision and say, I need to get rooted in the word of God. I need somebody to study the word with me. Maybe you're watching from another city or state. And what we can do is if you come and fill it out, we'll get you connected with a good Bible-believing church in your area. Somebody that can walk with you down the path of discipleship. But maybe you're right here in the Huntsville area, the greater Tennessee Valley. And you want to be in one of the next baptisms at this church, here at the Oakwood Church. Today, if you hear his voice. Don't harden your heart. Don't say tomorrow. Tomorrow's just a concept. I need you to know the only breath that's guaranteed is the one you're inhaling and exhaling right now. So tonight you want to make the decision to say, I want to go all the way with Jesus Christ right now, even as I am speaking. Don't look for nobody's permission. Don't seek out anyone's consent. I need you to move under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and Act on the thing that God has spoken to you on tonight. So connect with us at OUCSDA.org. Connect card. Just go right there. Click, I want to be baptized. 
I want to get in some Bible studies. Or maybe you're in the Huntsville area and you just believe in what you've been seeing. You're excited about where Oakwood is going and you want to become a member of the Oakwood Church spiritually. Uh, you've just been kind of hopping from church to church, but you haven't settled anywhere. It's time for you to settle. It's time for you to stop hopping. It's time for you to be cemented in something. Use your spiritual gifts. Maybe you just want to transfer and become a member of this body of Christ. We're glad to have you walk with you, help you grow spiritually in whatever way we can. But I'm praying that there's somebody that you would make a detour that you would make a U-turn. Don't spend too much time in dead-end relationships, with dead-end thinking, with dead-end work, or in dead-end spirituality. Pay attention to the sign and not the scenery. And God places those dead-end signs and allows you to hear this message because there's an exit coming up. He's going to make a way out of the relationship, out of the job, out of that way of thinking, but you got to get off on the exit. Right now, I'm praying that God will give you the strength and the will to move according to the dictates of the Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and it is a light unto our path. And so, Father, we're praying that on tonight, as some of us have come to the end of certain roads, whether it is relationally or professionally, spiritually, financially, help us to get to a place where we pay attention to the signs and not the scenery. Lord, you're creating an exit for somebody to get out of some, some, some harmful habits. Somebody needs to exit from alcoholism, and they need to exit from, from the weed culture. Somebody needs to exit from toxic relationships. Lord, give them to, the will to act on the word you have spoken into their lives tonight. Father, I want to pray for that person that needs to make it up in mind to go all the way in with you to stop the gradual thing, to stop the experimental thing, and to just cannonball into your grace. Father, I pray that they would act on the call to be baptized for the remission of sins and enter into the family of God. May they not delay. May they not put it off. May they not say tomorrow, but may they realize that the only guarantee is the moment they are occupying right now. So, Lord, would you bless us as a people to function in greater progress, to walk in greater clarity, to move in the path that you have ordained for us. We pray these things in the blessed name of Jesus. Let God's people say together, amen and amen.